2: something else becomes the focus of your story and it robs god of his rightful glory and he is not pleased whether you eat or drink whatever you do do all for the glory of god welcome to the barnabas
1: effect with paul purvis senior pastor of mission hill church a multicultural multi-generational multiplying church focused on shining the light and love of jesus like a city on a hill You're invited to visit any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. For information and locations, visit missionhill.org. That's missionhill.org. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis.
2: So what's your glory story? All of our lives are detailing an account of who or what we're living for. Your glory story... It was the 1940s, and he was growing up in a small town in South Carolina, the son of a bootlegger and an orphan. And he was living life just as any other boy did. He would play in the creek, and he would run around town walking to school and walking to church. He walked to church with his older brother, and it was at that church in the basement where a Sunday school teacher one day shared with him about what it meant to have a relationship With Jesus the Christ. And so as a six or seven year old little boy, he gave his life to Jesus. It did not mean that he reached perfection. He did not become God, but he began to live like God. He began to live his life for the glory of God with ups and downs in high school or right thereafter. He met a young lady and they decided to spend their lives together, but he was caught off with different plans by Uncle Sam And so he spent a few years in the United States Marine Corps, serving his country in places like Korea and other parts of the world. But after that, he came back to marry that high school girl, and they began a family. As they began their family, he felt led to answer God's call into ministry, again, living for God's glory. They had one son and then another. Those sons would grow up to be preachers. That man, my daddy, lived his life, is living his life for the glory of God. But because of that decision made as a young boy, now every Sunday, thousands of people hear the good news of Jesus Christ because of his glory story. What's your glory story? Glory is is simply the pleasure of something. It's not a word we use a lot in our society. In fact, because of that, sometimes we confuse what it's all about. In the American church, we've made giving God glory about what takes place in rooms like these, when maybe we raise our hands and sing songs that we like and styles we're familiar with. And we don't recognize that it's the little things in life that allow us the opportunity to give God glory fact the little things have a big part of our lives don't they I was starting out in college when I came across this book everything I needed to know I learned in kindergarten the author Robert Fulgram talks about learning those things in kindergarten or on the sand pile at Sunday school he says here's some of the things I learned share everything play fair don't hit people those are little things put things back where you found them clean up your own mess don't take things that aren't yours Say you're sorry when you hurt somebody. Wash your hands before you eat. Flush. That's a little thing. Warm cookies and cold milk are good for you. Live a balanced life. Learn some and think some and draw and paint and sing and dance and play and work every day some. Take a nap every afternoon. Amen. That's a little thing. And when you go out into the world, watch out for traffic, hold hands and stick together. You know, the little things make a big difference in life, don't they? I think even Washington, D.C. could learn from going back to what they should have learned in kindergarten or Sunday school. (laughs) But those little things influence our life. And I believe the Bible teaches that it's in those little things that we find out what life is worth living for. Yes, it's the little things, the everyday moments of our regular lives that determine and demonstrate the passions in our life and our purpose for living with that in mind. I want you to take your copy of God's word. And I want you to turn to me to first Corinthians chapter 10. We've been studying Paul's letter to the church at Corinth. He's writing to a group of messed up people in a messed up church living in a messed up world. So it's relevant for us because my name is Paul and I'm a messed up person. I'm a part of a messed up church and I live in a messed up world. And so these are relevant words. I read this week, this quote, it says, our heart's desires are shaped and molded by the habit forming practices in which we participate daily. In other words, we give God glory, we bring God pleasure, we make God smile based on the little things in life. That's why Paul would say in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 31, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Are you living for the glory of God? Does your attitudes and actions bring pleasure to the heart of God? Is he pleased with your life and your lifestyle? Are you living for God's glory? What is your glory story? Well, how do we make sure we live that way? Some of you might remember a movie that came out years ago, first in black and white and then in color. It's called The Invasion of the... Y'all watch that movie invasion of the body snatchers and an interesting movie and i don't want to talk about that today but i do want to talk about the the invasion of the glory stillers because i believe there are things that come into our lives that cause god's glory to be robbed first corinthians chapter 10 i'm going to read beginning in verse 1 this is god's word not mine Paul, the apostle inspired by God's spirit says this, for I do not want you to be unaware brothers that our fathers were all under the cloud and they passed through the sea. In other words, this is important. I want you to remember this. I want you to focus on this. Listen, verse two, and they were all baptized into Moses and in the cloud and the sea, and they ate the same spiritual food. They drank the same spiritual drink. Some of you know the story he's talking about. It's when God led the Israeli people, the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt Toward the promised land under the leadership of Moses. So that's why it talks about being baptized into Moses. They were under the leadership of Moses. God always has a man to carry out his plan. He, he works out his dreams, his visions through people. God wants to use you for something great, for his glory. So Moses is leading the children of Israel out. And then notice what it goes on to say. They drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. And the rock was Christ. Now, if you're not familiar with scripture, this may not sound interesting to you, but for those of us that have read the Old Testament, you kind of go, wait, what? Because Jesus, we know that in his bodily form appears in the New Testament. But as we read scripture, we know that he was there on the first pages of Genesis. Jesus was there from the beginning. In fact, in the Colossians, it tells us all things were created for him, through him and by him. And so here, Paul says, hey, make no mistake. The wilderness wanderings that the children of Israel went through, their source of strength, their source of hope, their source of power was Jesus. Now that's relevant because he's talking to a group of messed up Christians in a messed up church in a messed up world. And he's saying to them, your only hope is Jesus. It's a not so subtle reminder. Jesus is the hero of the story. So when you open this book, No matter where you turn, I want you to understand that's true. Jesus is the hero of the story. From the beginning to the end, it's all about Jesus. Now, this is why it's so important that you understand that. Because Jesus wants to be the hero of your story. And today, someone or something is the hero of your story. Someone or something will always be the hero of your story. It may be a relationship you're in, and that's what drives you. That's your passion. That's where you spend your energy. It may be your job, and you take those skills, those abilities, those talents God's given you, and that's what's kind of the focal point of your life. It may be your bank account, or it may be your family but something is the focus, the hero of your story. And the reason this is important is because when you live in a way that is contrary to God's will, someone or something else becomes the focus of your story and it robs God of his rightful glory and he is not pleased. And we want to please God. Remember that's what 1 Corinthians 10:31 says, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. As we read this in verse Five, it says, nevertheless, with most of them, going back to the children of Israel, God was not pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness. So this is how the story continued. God led the children of Israel out of slavery in Egypt. He led them toward the promised land. But what did they do in the wilderness? They got stuck. They had hiccups and roadblocks because they were not obedient to God. And as a result, God was not pleased. I grew up kind of like an only child. My older brother is nine years older, and so it wasn't long before he was out of the home. And I'm just telling you, I wasn't too bad of a kid, so I had a lot of freedom. But I'll never forget a night that I abused that freedom. I didn't have a curfew, but I had a curfew, if you know what I mean. And so one day, Saturday night, I'd been out later than I should, doing some things that I shouldn't have been doing. And I quietly opened the door and began to step into my house so that the wood wouldn't creak in the floor. And I look up and my dad, the preacher, who had to preach the next morning, is just sitting there in his recliner like this. It was not a look of pleasure. He was not pleased. You know, Billy Graham, we celebrated his life these last several days. And I I can't help but think that when he entered into the presence of God in heaven, he heard the words, well done, my good and faithful servant. That, that's what we all desire to hear if we're followers of Christ. But God said the children of Israel lived in such a way that God was not pleased. Well, why was that relevant to who Paul was speaking? Because he was speaking to a group of messed up people, a messed up church and a messed up world. So he was saying to them, in your life, there are some things that are taking place that are not pleasing God. So he uses the past to illustrate what's going on in the present. Notice what it says beginning in verse six. Now, these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. So when we read the scriptures, we should look at what takes place. And sometimes scripture tell us what to do. Sometimes scriptures tell us what not to do. Look at verse seven. This is what not to do. Do not be idolaters, as some of them were, as it's written, The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up and play. Verse 8, we must not indulge in sexual immorality, as some of them did. 25,000 fell in a single day. Verse 9, we must not put Christ to the test, as some of them did. They were destroyed by serpents. Verse 10, nor grumble, as some of them did. They were destroyed by the destroyer. So we've got four things that we're not to do. Four things that God's word says, don't do this. But look at verse 11. These things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. Now, remember, this is written to a group of messed up people who are in a messed up church in a messed up world. So the assumption is God is writing these words through the Apostle Paul to folks who have followed Jesus. They're Christ followers. Some of you are in that category today. You know that if this life ended today, you would step into eternity in heaven with Jesus. Others of you aren't there yet. Your story is still being written. You haven't responded to Christ in a personal way. And I'm gonna give you that opportunity in the next few minutes, but I want you to understand that these words are really aimed toward Christians. And particularly verse 12, look at what it says. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. I grew up in church. Some of you heard me say I had a drug problem. I was drugged at church all the time, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Monday night, Wednesday night. And that's the kind of life that I had. And and so what happens if you're familiar with the gospel? and you know you've got that relationship with Christ, if you're not careful, you're this person that he's talking to in verse 12. You think, I've got my way into heaven, and everything's going to be okay. I don't have anything to worry about. And you just abuse and use God's grace. And so Paul is saying, if you're that person, be careful, because just because you're Christian doesn't mean that you will avoid the discipline of God. And he did that by talking about the children of Israel. They were God's chosen people. God designed a whole promised land for them. They were the ones upon whom God would place his hope for this world. And yet, he disciplined them because they disobeyed him. They robbed him of his glory. In fact, remember the story? There were hundreds of thousands of those Israelites And under Moses' leadership, only two made it into the promised land. They're so famous, we remember their names. What's their names? Joshua and Caleb. Joshua and Caleb made it into the promised land. So what are the things that stole the glory of God? Because these things can also steal our glory. Here's the first one. Idolatry is a glory stealer. Idolatry is a glory stealer. What is an idol? An idol is anything more fundamental than God for our happiness, meaning, and identity in life. So anything I look to in the place of God to give me happiness and meaning and identity. So let's just go back to the list. It's possible that a relationship becomes an idol, right? Because I'm placing more focus on that for my happiness, my meaning, and my identity. It's possible that a job becomes an idol, because I, I'm, I think that's who I am, not what I do. It's possible that even my hobbies become an idol because that's where I'm looking for my happiness. It's possible that something I'm putting into my body, a a drug or an alcohol or some other substance, becomes like an idol because I'm thinking if I do that, I will feel right and I'll find meaning and, and happiness. And I need that for that. So there's all kinds of things that can become an idol, but it doesn't have to be bad things. You see, an idol is anything, even a good thing, that takes the place of the main thing. So is there any good thing in your life that's robbing God of his glory? Hi, I'm Paul Purvis, the lead pastor of Mission Hill Church right here in Tampa Bay. Thanks for taking the time to listen to today's The Barnabas Effect. It's a ministry intended to encourage, equip, and empower you. You may not know this, but this ministry is made possible because of the generosity of listeners like you. We continue with our message. So the illustration that Paul uses that the Jewish people would understand that had become Christ's followers is he takes them back to that journey in Egypt, and out of Egypt, and he says, "Remember when the Israelites they made the idol, and how God punished them for that? You remember the context for when that took place? Moses, their leader, was up on top of the mountain, and what was he doing on the mountain?" He was talking to God, right. And what was he getting up on the mountain, by the way? He would come back down from the mountain with the Ten Commandments. And just for the record, all the societies of the world that have moral laws base them, whether they acknowledge it or not, they base them on those 10 commandments. So this was pretty important stuff. He was worshiping the God who had led them out of slavery, out of Egypt, and he's coming down from the mountain. And what does he find? The people of God, the Israelite children of God, they had had made idols. And so when I was growing up in Sunday school, I was thinking, man, that's crazy. How could they do that? What a shame. But maybe what I didn't understand is they were just doing what they knew to do. Because some of these folks had even done that as their job back in Egypt. They made the idols for the Egyptians. And so here they were, they were still celebrating the moment. They were worshiping, but but in doing that, God was not enough for them. His way was not enough for them. So in their everyday life, in their eating and their drinking and their playing, they, they created idols. And Paul reminded the church at Corinth that that was not okay. Look at what it's described as in, in Exodus 32, 6. They rose up early the next day. They offered burnt offerings, and they brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink, and they rose up to play. You see, idolatry makes its way into the normalcy of our life. You don't have to have a little statue on a shelf to have an idol. You just have to have made something that's not the main thing, the main thing. So quick inventory. Is there anything in your life that has taken primary importance over Jesus? If so, you've got a glory stealer, an idol. But then Paul gives another example. He talks about immorality, and immorality is a glory stiller. When we do things that are immoral, they're against God's moral law, that takes away from the holiness of God, and it robs God of his glory. And so Numbers 25 describes what happens. And be prepared, because it's kind of rated R, because God had told the children of Israel, now as you go through this wilderness, as you wander through, you're going to come across some people who... um, who they're not following God. They're pagan. They're not living God's way. And, and don't marry them. Because when you do, it, it, will, it will weaken your walk and, and the, the faith will not be strong. So what the Bible tells us is that they did marry them. In fact, it uses this word. It says they begin to whore around. Yeah, the Bible sometimes is very direct. It says they begin to whore around with, in, in this case, it says Moabite women. And God was very displeased with them because they had not done what he said. They had not followed the standards that God put out. I would just say to you, God still has standards. And so when we live against his standards, there's always consequences. And it kind of makes sense that immorality followed idolatry. Because in idolatry, I'm saying that the main thing is not the main thing. And if the main thing is not the main thing, then I can do my thing, right? I do what feels good. So immorality always occurs when we say what we want is more important than what God wills. So if it feels good, we do it. And I would just challenge you in your life, is there any area, now we think of immorality as, uh, as sexual relationships being immoral or adultery as being immoral, but is there any area of your life where you've stepped outside of God's moral laws, you're not obeying the things that he clearly said, here's some things you should obey, simply because you said, my way's more important. And, and that's, that's easy to do in life because we live in a world in which we think everything revolves around us, Right? And in fact, we like songs that said, I did it my way. And so be careful because that leads you down a slippery slope. Let me give you a third thing real quick. Irreverence is a glory stiller. So he said, why did you test God? How did they test God? This is interesting. So here they are wandering through the wilderness and God's providing them. He's given them a, 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 a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day. So they'll know the way to go. But they start complaining. And they start saying to their leader, Moses, we want to go back to Egypt. Now think about that for a second. What did they do in Egypt? What was their job? They were slaves. They were saying, we would rather be slaves than have to trust God that his way is best. Because that's what they were doing. They were headed toward the promised land, but they kept disobeying. And so there were kept being hiccups and and roadblocks. And so they began to be impatient. They thumbed their nose at God and said, We don't trust you. And so Paul called that testing God. And so in our lives, I think there are times we, we test God, we don't trust him, we get impatient. And, and maybe it's because you're, you're, you desire that spouse, that right relationship, or, or maybe it's because your job just stinks, or maybe it's that health issue that you've been crying out for, for deliverance or for healing, and you haven't got that answer yet. And, you, and and instead of trusting God, the Bible says in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not into your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he'll direct your path. And instead of that, you, you take these disappointments and these unanswered prayers and you say, God, I'm done and you thumb your nose at God and you're irreverent. Because by the way, they weren't mad at Moses. They were mad at God. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever would just look to him would not perish but have eternal life. I want you to know today, I don't know what you've been through, but God does and he loves you. He couldn't love you anymore than he's already loved you today. And he'll never love you any less than he loves you right now. See, our God is a way maker. And just like he made a way in the wilderness, he made a way through Jesus for that snake bit bite of sin in your life. And just like they were released from the bondage of slavery in the wilderness, you can be released from that bondage and
1: slavery of sin. You've been listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement